Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Edit audio. After my parents got divorced, I lived alone with my mom. We went from financially being, you know, pretty comfortable to just broke ass in one fell swoop. Because what I didn't know was that both my parents overspent and they were in, I I think the um, financial term, you know, the technical financial term is buttloads of debt. After that, I saw my mom cry because she couldn't buy me the sneakers I wanted. I saw her cry because she couldn't afford to take me to the newest, hottest pizza joint in our tiny little upstate New York town, Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, yeah. And when I got into the college of my dreams, I watched my mom, you know, take a big drag on her cigarette as she said, well, let's see if we can uh, figure out how to pay for this. I was like, what? Thank God or Buddha or the universe, we were just poor enough that I got all kinds of financial aid and I was able to escape to college. But what I noticed was creditors had begun calling her. And then she declared bankruptcy, which she did by yelling out, Fuck the man and his credit card companies. Well, when she got remarried, her money problems became someone else's problem. And I I have to be honest, I felt a huge sigh of relief. So today, my finances, they're stable. But experiencing years of instability and, and watching my mom crying because she couldn't pay a bill, you know, that just doesn't get easily undone. So for me, money will always equal safety, and because of some generational fault line trauma, I'm probably never going to be in a place where I feel like I have enough money. Hello everyone, I'm Robin Hopkins, and this is Well Adjusting, where I talk to people about life stuff, but not in an NPR way. It's more like we're at the bar, having cocktails, getting into your business sort of way. It's it's giving drunk NPR. Oh, and producer Steph is here too. Hello. Today we chat, well, generational trauma and how it affects finances. Hello, everyone. I have got to tell you, I cannot wait to share today's episode with you. All right, Jennifer Palumbo, she's my pal. She's a writer. She's a comedian. And dare I say it, a freaking amazing lady. And when I was telling her about this podcast before season one, she was like, ooh, you got to talk to my dad about how he grew up with money. And I think she was just, you know, like throwing it out there. But I have to say, anyone who knows me, you know that you just can't throw things out there around me because I'm going to take you up on that. 
And so I only heard a couple of bits about Arnold's childhood and, and his relationship with money and how it affected him and his life and parenting. And I was like, um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to need to book this as soon as possible. And also I'm going to need you, Jennifer, to be on there and talk about family patterns. Thanks. And so we did. And the result, one, an incredible interview. Two, I now love Arnold as much as Jennifer. I mean, he is a smart cookie and you are going to love both of them. So without further ado, here is Jennifer and her pops, Arnold. My name is Arnold Palumbo, and I wanted to talk about how I grew up. And I'm 78 years old, just became 78. I look much younger. Um, <laughs> but how it affected me from that early age, almost till now. I mean, you think by now I should be over it, but it affected me and affected how I raised my children, my idiosyncrasies, if you want to use that word, based That's on a good word. the problem I had as a kid, how it affected their life. And it still affects me to this day, yeah. the different things I do that don't make sense. Well, and we should we should tell the audience that we actually have your daughter, Jennifer, here. Say hi, Jennifer. Hello. <laughs> I can vouch for all of this. It's It's actually very interesting because I think it's such a unique situation that my father grew up in, yet it's, I'm sure it'll be relatable, where money was always an issue. Mm -hmm. And the thing that prompted this whole conversation was something my dad said to me, how he just couldn't wait to get out of the house so his money would be his own. Let's get right into that. Talk, yeah. like, talk to me, Arnold. Yeah, it was money, but it was more, my father was a good man. He helped a lot of people. He worked on the docks in uh, Brooklyn. You could tell by my accent. And, right. <laughs> and he helped a lot of people get jobs in the union. He was a union person, but he had a, he had a sickness and it was gambling. I think my earliest memory is when I was maybe 12 or 13, that he was going to have to leave the house because- Like as in your mom was booting him out? No, because the loan sharks were looking for him. Oh, so shit. He would call it hitting a hole where he couldn't borrow any more money and they were looking for him. And they had taken me, it's hard to remember, but taking me like to a little bank where I had a little account and took the money out of. And then- They took your money. They took my money, but it was peanuts. It wasn't a lot of money, but I didn't want him to leave the house. We, Of course, we loved them. I'm going to try uh, not, to, not to get emotional, get emotional. But, I'll, but I'll try. Um, oh, it's okay, Arnold. And then later on, I earned money. I was working from when I was like 12, 13 at a butcher shop. And that was the key. I didn't want, and I would listen to him on the phone sometimes make these bets with the bookie. And uh. um, he was really bright with numbers because uh, I don't know if I go off on tangent, but he used to do all the income tax for all the Italian people in the neighborhood. They didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And he would just take their name and make up stuff. He would make up household <laughs> finance, union dues. He would say, how much money you want to get back? And he would make up children that they didn't have. So he was, re he was really good with numbers. Um, That's why I write fiction. He, he was good with work in the system, yeah, too. And yeah. I had a sister, Roseanne, who I never saw to this day. So I mean, too, It's not a real person. No, it wasn't real. Roseanne <gasps> isn't real. Yeah. Oh, like a, a sister for the tax forms. Yes. Yeah. I think that he even claimed the dog. As a person. But once the computers and that started coming in, he had to get rid of that daughter. But um, 
she no, moved away. The, the point, I think, was that I didn't want him to leave the house. So anytime he hit these holes, he would borrow money from other people. I don't know if you know how loan shocking works, but it, it's, it's ridiculous how they take the interest and put you in such a position that you can't pay. So when I met yeah. my wife and we started dating, that was my thing. I wanted to get out of the house so they couldn't take my money. I never did give them money for once I was married. Did they ever ask? No, they, they never did ask. Uh, but my, I know my brother, my older brother, did give my father money later on. Because to this day, my father mm. died in 1970. My brother will mention occasionally he still owes him $700. <laughs> So he never, he never got he better. Get, he he never get, got his gambling he under control. Did get better once he left that job, because that job, that's all they talked about was gambling. Once he retired, my brother got him a job as a, a guard in the college, Brooklyn College. He gambled, but not mm-hmm. as much. He didn't hit these holes. And you know, you talk about how what he did affected my life. He was affected as a kid. Yeah. He was put in an orphanage when he was like, I found this out later, like he was 10 years old. Now, this is 1914 he was born. So 1924, 10 years old, his mother put him in an orphanage and left the father. She took the other three kids and she left him with his older Uh, brother and him, his uncle Tony, Tony. in an orphanage. And he used to moan for her his whole life. Mom, mom. But then Uncle Tony, who was with my grandfather in the orphanage, developed a stutter. Just the two of them, while their siblings were with their mom, were in this orphanage. And I said to dad, I always wondered if my grandfather had a gambling issue because he felt like he didn't deserve to have comfort or well, money. Well, because she didn't give up all her kids. She gave up two of them. Yeah. And that's got to leave a mark. But at a certain point, shouldn't you get over it? And we had a nice life when I was married. We had a nice house, a nice car. We went on good vacations. But I would do some weird stuff with money where I was always aware of how much money I had in my pocket. I would drive Jennifer and my daughter Nadine crazy if they had one cookie and they put it on four paper plates. The paper plates was a big... (laughs) Yeah. Because there was a waste in the cost. Do you remember... There was one time, so we had all these paper plates, and I think I had a bean burrito. I swear I have a point. <laughs> and I'm anal in other ways. Like, I don't like things to be messy. Yeah. So I had two plates for this bean burrito. I still remember this, which is yeah. insane. And so because the bean got all over the top plate, I took the bottom plate and put it on top of it so you didn't have to yeah. see the beans in yeah. the garbage because I'm weird. Yeah. So my father, a dad, I don't know if you remember no. this, he looks in the garbage and sees a clean plate. <laughs> and you took it out and, and put it back. Well, you know what's funny is you said something earlier. You said, you know, at a certain age, shouldn't you have been over it? But you started off by talking about I'm 78 and I'm still not over it. You know, like these are ingrained things that are handed to you because it's all tied to like someone was literally taking your money when you were a kid. Yeah. And and that's what you think you should be able to get over. But even now she's talking about the plate. If I see a plate that's very not dirty at all, I'll take it out and put a sandwich on it or something. Yeah. And I have a lot of money. Yeah. I, I, well, that's what I, I told Robin. One thing that I wanted to ask you, the thing that 
interests me that I don't understand about you is you do he's he's saved. I mean, he you know what he said to me about money once. He goes, there's two words you should get out of your vocabulary. It's, it's only, only that's right. it's only a dollar. It's only five dollars. He's like, don't ever say that. And Nadine and I, that's my sister, when we graduated high school and went to college, everything was paid for. He like would take confirmation money, birthday money, put it in this account. And then we opened a joint checking account when we went to college. So people thought I was married to my father because it was Arnold <laughs> Palumbo and Jennifer Palumbo on the, the checking account. I have friends who are still paying off their college loans. And my my sister and I never really had to deal with that because he saved up so much. Right. But my question is, because he has saved so much, he, from what I understand, I mean, not that we are sitting around talking about what he has in his accounts, has a good amount of money. Right. So- what I don't understand is if you actually have the money now, why are you still like- right. I thank God I got a I became an air traffic controller. I became a manager. I made very good money. I have enough money. I mean I buy a fifty thousand dollar, sixty thousand dollar car, yet here's some of the things that I did that don't make sense. So you do allow yourself to spend some money. You don't oh, yeah, like you don't live no, like you're in poverty. It doesn't bother me to spend money or spend big money. It's just that sometimes little money or the waste of it bothers me. Yeah. My wife had a procedure at the doctor's office. They told me at 1.30, she was going to be out of the procedure. So I went across the street. There was a Dunkin' Donut there. I bought a big cup of coffee for her. Went back. 1.30, she wasn't out. 2 o'clock, she wasn't out. 2.30, and it bothered me that I bought that coffee and wasted the money. So I went back to Dunkin' Donut. Here I am making $180,000 a year, I went back to Dunkin' Donut and said, I think there's something wrong with the coffee. No. Not to save two fifty. dollars it's like, it's like you have a little bit of your dad's sort of scam persona oh, in there too. <laughs> like you didn't just get the panic, but you got oh, a little well, of the like, let's work the no, system. No, definitely I do. My older brother and I, we have to sometimes beat the system. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey, friends. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think you are going to like. Okay, Bill Burke is the host of the weekly podcast Blue Sky, where he interviews individuals tackling the world's most significant challenges with hope and optimism. Sounds right up your alley, right? Exactly what we thought. All right, it's brought to you by the Optimism Institute, which was also founded by Bill, to sprinkle a bit of positivity on your view of the future, especially with the media often showing us just the gloomier side of things. On Blue Sky, you're going to hear optimism about topics on everything from climate change and AI to homelessness and immigration and more, and they're offering diverse perspectives. 
You're going to finish each episode feeling brighter about the world and optimistic about our collective future. The name Blue Sky, well, it's inspired by a meditation prompt symbolizing the idea that beyond the clouds, there's always blue sky, encouraging a broader perspective. The Blue Sky Podcast is available for listening on all major podcast platforms, inviting everyone to look beyond the clouds and embrace a more hopeful view of the future. I'll tell you what, I'll be listening. So I have to ask the question of like, Arnold, what do you say that you came out of from your parents that is really good and what that you came out with that's bad that you are handing forward besides just like idiosyncrasies? Like, can you like say, like, do you feel like is money a safety issue or is it just like you have like this hair trigger response to waste? I think it is partly the waste that that part of even if I buy something where I think I wasn't treated fairly, that bothers me and I have to react to it. Do you think it was because you felt like you weren't treated fairly around money? I or? think so as a kid. That was a, the big issue. I always know how much I have in accounts. I always saved. I saved. I saved. I saved. And if you left change around the house? Yes, just to have that security, I think. He would take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? Like if like I a, left quarters or dollars out, he, he would be like, oh, that's probably mine and take yeah. it and put it in his drawer. That's probably mine. Well, I, just, I need that security that I have that. Yeah. And, and I'll... You know, even now I'll think about, well, what my budget's going to be this month. But then it's that cheapness. I don't know if it's cheapness as much as a ridiculous. It sounds like it's more like a panic. It sounds like there's like a real safety conversation underneath it. Like if you like, I mean, the fact you're taking your your five-year-old's quarters because you just might need it (laughs) is like, that's not logical. You know, that's not rational. That's something else is happening. Someone else is in the driver's seat when that's going on. Yeah. And again, I think I'm better than I was, but I think to this day, there'll be times when I catch myself doing something that doesn't make sense. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, I want to ask, I want to ask Jennifer at this point, a question, like, how did this translate to how you were raised and how you felt about money and where you ended up because of, because of, you know, generational, I I mean, it's generational trauma, really. What's funny is where we moved, when we moved from New Jersey to Long Island, it was pretty affluent. Don't you think, Dad, at the time? And we were not really affluent. I mean, not at the time when we first moved there. Two of my best friends, like, one, her father was a lawyer and the other one was a dentist. Mm. And I would go shopping with them, like, you know, in junior high or whatever. 
And they, you know, Naomi would get like $70, Deb would get 100 and my dad would give me five, five dollars. Yeah. And I would just walk through the mall. And I, I wasn't bitter about it, but it felt weird because yeah. here they're buying sweaters, Benetton sweaters yeah. and yeah. all this stuff. I would save the money for when we would go to McDonald's and eat. It's weird. Like, in a way, I'm kind of glad we were raised that way. Yeah. Because I think other people don't really appreciate money as much as um, my I bet sister you have, and I, I bet do. you both have big appreciation for money. Yeah. Well, and, you know, not to – and I, I don't think my husband would mind if I said this, but his mother had inherited this huge trust fund, and she basically kind of didn't manage it well and, and sort yeah. of pissed it away. And Mike said to me, imagine if your dad got that trust fund. It would be probably $2 oh million. Oh, my God. It'd be like four times the amount. Yeah. But that's what I mean because he's such a saver if you don't – like, if I would go to the mall, I don't need more than $5. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you don't need to buy anything. You know, you're just going for the social aspect and, you know. So I do think we're very respectful of money and we appreciate it. In terms of the bad, I think I just worry about it more than most yeah. people. And my husband sometimes doesn't understand, like, I'm just going to throw out a random number. Say we have $60,000 in the checking account. Yeah. And we pay a couple of things and it's now like maybe- 52. Yeah, 52. I'll be like, oh, we got to really watch our spending. Yeah. We got to get it back to 60. Yeah. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, we have 52. Like, that comes up a lot. Yeah. But I, when I start seeing the number go down and not coming back up, yeah, then I'm like, you know, okay, I've got to make my own soap. <laughs> Sew my own clothes. <laughs> like sometimes I do think I'm penny wise and pound foolish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll start being like, we can't order in anymore. But it's really only, it's not that much of a difference, but I'll start worrying because it's going down. But I, I do think that what's coming up for both of you, and it, I, I'm thinking of the same thing for myself, is like when there's the safety thing, these actions aren't logical. Like right. when the flat screen TVs first came out, I had decided because it's like the decision to splurge on myself is hard. But I had made this decision I was going to buy when it was like four thousand dollars. And then the guy was trying to sell me like the nice cable. And I was like, oh, no, bro. Like I was going to buy the four ninety nine cable. And Mary pulled me aside. And she said, baby, you just spent four thousand dollars on a television. <laughs> yeah. She's like, buy the good cable. And I was yeah. just like, right. Right. But that's not logical. It's just like that was a, a bridge too far. And I feel like you both have that in common, that like not logical triggered, like I'm taking a plate out of the garbage yeah. well, kind of I, thinking. I, I think both my daughters uh, are generous, much more than I was. Oh, with yeah. With social things, with gifts, with stuff like that. And I think my wife, she didn't come from money, but she's very generous. Did that help you? Yeah, it helped me grow up. Well, I want to ask you, at the top, you said, it still affects me. I'm curious, it's kind of like a twofold question. Like, if you, with your with your wisdom and your wife's help today, what would you do differently, like, maybe with your kids? But also, like, what, you're 78, but you got, you got years in front of you. What would you want to do to do differently or be better about? What growth would you want to see for yourself? Like, if you knew you've got three years before you, you, you kick it, or 13 or 30, what would you want to do differently during that last time? I think it's I think it's the mental thing. It's it's the concern about money in my head where I'll try to calculate, well, this is how much I have in the checking account, my bills this month. Where it's not a problem. I probably yeah, I always have more money now uh, than I'll ever need. 
in my lifetime. Well, if That's you need another sure. daughter, well, uh, you know, I'm around. <laughs> just FYI, BT dubs. <laughs> yeah, and, and that I hope that didn't sound bragging. That's no. just a fact. That's just a fact, you know. So, and I like that. I like the idea that they'll have this big inheritance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And my main thing is I want, if I pass before my wife, uh, that she doesn't have to worry about anything. Yeah. That she has a lot of money. Well, not a lot of money. That she has a lifestyle that she could maintain right now. Yeah. Although the way she spends money, oh. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that'll work. No, no, I'm teasing. But she needs money to live if I'm gone. That's for sure. So. I do think, honestly, like it reminds me of like my wife used to be a smoker and she talked about all the time as a smoker that she'd spend at work mentally going, okay, well, if I finish this job, I can go outside for 15 minutes to smoke. And then I can, you know, like that, like constantly thinking about, well, when we're done talking, I can go smoke. And just you're, you're not present when you're doing all that. And I feel like that's the same kind of thing. Like maybe you're not present when you're running through how much money is in your checking account and you don't need to be. And you could be missing moments, like maybe working well, towards that freedom. I think you're exactly right. 100%. That's the issue. That's the issue to this day. Not as bad as it was, but that's the issue is the thinking about it, trying to figure it out. You know, right now, I know I have about 12 singles in my pocket. And I'm saying to myself, when I bowl tomorrow, I'm going to give them the eight singles and things like that. Yeah. To this day. Yeah. It's not a a, just so much space in your brain. That's so much time. And you know, it just amazes me. And I do think it kind of has... I don't know if this is good or bad. My husband, when I do the laundry, constantly leaves money in his pockets. So I'm always cleaning money. Yeah. Or he'll leave like $20 somewhere. And every time I see that, I'm amazed because that would never happen in my house growing up. My dad would never leave money in his pants pocket. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And Mike... He's he's gotten much better with money in the last couple of years. When I first met him, it wasn't great. I think because again, they had this trust fund. Yeah, they didn't it's really the exact have opposite. You, exactly, you're living into this trust fund, it's going to come down to me. Right. I don't need to worry. Yeah, they didn't have the same respect for money, and they always felt like they were going to fall back on it. And what happened was, right when Mike and I got married, because his brother and him were on the the trust. So when their mom passed away, it would go to them. They would get financial statements. Right. And they got a financial statement and saw how low it was. Oh. And I think that's when both him and his brother were like, oh, oh we're shit. not going to have this. Yes. And that's when Mike started to change about money. Yeah. Because they really thought, oh, I have a retirement. I have this huge trust fund that my grandfather left for us. And I remember the three of them talking like, what the hell happened? And that's when he started taking it more seriously. But growing up... He didn't have the same respect. He didn't have to, yeah. Right. But I'm still, even Mike does it all the time, I'm always like, my dad would never leave a 20. Yeah. <laughs> it's Jean Pocket. Arnold, I wonder if, like, remember back in the day when when uh, someone was trying to quit smoking and they would have, like, a rubber band around the wrist and then they, if you wanted to smoke, you would, like, snap yourself and the whole idea was, like, <laughs> but I don't want you to snap. I don't want you to snap yourself. But I'm, I'm wondering if there's, like, some kind of, like, mantra that you can pick up that's, like, you know, I, I have enough money. Everything's okay. Like, so when you start, anytime your brain mentally starts thinking, like, oh, I got eight singles and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give eight to the bowling alley and I got four that I'm going to put back in the... Anytime you do that, you stop yourself and you say, Arnold, I have enough money and and just start as a practice and see if any freedom comes from that. 
I don't think that'll ever happen. The mantra is my wife. (laughs) My wife will tell me, you know, don't be ridiculous. Just forget it. It's only $2 or it's only $4. But she can't do it if it's in your head. I know. Those are the times. But it's not... It's not as bad as it once was. Yeah. Yeah, it's better at this thing. Maybe by 79, I'll get it better. And, yeah. <laughs> well, I also wonder, too, if, if at some point you just learn to live with your, like, your demons or your things, and you just you peacefully well, coexist, yeah. like, a, a part inside of you. Yeah, that's true. Well, and I always try not to tell him, I don't know, if we're doing construction or something like that, sometimes it would be like, how much is it? Yeah. And I'll be like, it's fine. I'm not like, telling you. Yeah, I'm not telling you because, and, and he may, it may be a number he's fine with, but yeah. I don't want him to. To obsess over it or worry yeah. about it. or So I'll kind of, yeah, there have been a couple of things like that where I'll be like, we got it. It's good. <laughs> Just not get into it. Sometimes with me, it's not even whether you're buying a car or negotiating for something. I enjoy the give and take of that, of negotiating. Yeah. Maybe again, it's the part about saving the money. But Well, you felt like uh, you won. But you know, when you bought me the red Toyota car, we were buying it from uh, this kid and he said whatever price it was, my dad counter offered and the kids started thinking about it. And my dad goes, let me help you out here. I made you a counter offer. So you then make me another offer. And then we'll settle on something that we're both good about. So he, he like. You were like coaching him on how yeah. to, on how to yeah, barter. And, and, well, I didn't want to. And see, I didn't want to beat anybody. I'm not looking. That was never that way. If you were talking to someone who is like a young parent, because I feel like you did give your kids, and you also gave some random kid trying to buy a car, like you <laughs> gave him money tips. So you so you have taken all the wonderful things that you learned from a bad situation and you've shared those. And I think that's really great. But what, what advice would you give to somebody who was a young parent so that maybe they can sidestep some of the panic, like how to teach without bringing in the the trauma or the fear no, the fear yeah. yeah i don't i don't know if i have an answer to that because with jennifer and nadine when they were younger i want them to save to have enough money that that money's not an issue particularly with the children yeah that if their kids need money down the road or college and all that i want them to save so i want them to be conscious of it but not be a nut about it like i was on certain things I mean, I, I feel like I feel like you took a bad situation and you you did manage to to pull a lot of really good things out of it. Like you may have made peace with it. Like this is where it is. Were you ever scared to gamble because you were worried you'd get addicted? No, you know. Again, I didn't want to lose. The, I gambled and I gambled sometimes big money, but I was winning at the time. I I, I won twenty five hundred, three thousand a blackjack table a few times. But I didn't lose. If I lost, I didn't lose big. I just controlled that money. And as I was winning, I would put money aside. I do that when I gamble. (laughs) I have separate pockets. So I have what I'm willing to spend for the day. And then I take winnings and put them in a different pocket. And then when what I was willing to spend for the day is gone, it's done. Because I don't want to, I can't lose the money. Right. I can't like, I can't go in there and lose a hundred bucks. And I would never borrow money to gamble. I mean, that oh, just right. to me is yeah. what then my father in. So I would never do that. But yeah, I, I don't like to lose wow. big money. Do you ever worry that now that you have that money and your kids and grandkids maybe have like grown up with money that they're going to swing in the opposite direction? Well, and I, I see that. I see that maybe with my grandson sometimes. And what Jennifer said before is what I tell him. Don't ever say it's only. But again, I know... He has a good inheritance from both grandparents, mm. but and he seems like a, a, a good young man. But it just sometimes the money 
I think he's freer with it than I would be. Is your sister, um, is she similar to you or is she, because, you know, sometimes people in, in opposition, like become like wild spenders because they had no money. Did your sister come out similar to you? I think she did. I mean, remember mom went to like a, like a psychic and they said, your older daughter will have money running through her hands and your younger daughter will hold on to it. I, I think that's, that's what a psychic said, but I think we're similar. But I will say, and this definitely is my father inspired. We went to Target last weekend and my sons are seven and 10 and they wanted a toy. And so I said, you can pick out a toy, but it has to be under $10. <laughs> And Matthew was looking at all the prices, figuring out what was the one he could get the most for $10. And I said to my husband, I said, this is a really good exercise. Yeah. Because it makes them think about what we're spending. Yeah. And not that my husband and I aren't, I mean, we're, we're fine, we're comfortable, we're not loaded, but that's one of my biggest fears. Yeah. Because I did grow up with that. Yeah. Like I said, my two friends, they constantly had extravagant parties and all this stuff and I never did. And at the time, I think I felt a little uncomfortable about it. But when I got older, I realized how much more I appreciated it. Yeah. I mean, Mike and I busted our ass to save up money, you know, to get good jobs. Um, and I think if you don't come from money, if you get married and you have all this money, you don't, it's not the same no, accomplishment. You don't have the fear attached to it and you don't have the, and you don't have the accomplishment. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what do you think from this, like you're passing on to your kids? Do you think about that? Are you scared about that? I am a little nervous about it because I do still think my husband doesn't have the same respect for money as I do. I don't know if that makes sense, but I don't think he worries about it enough. And I think he'll tell you I worry about it too much. I think it's hilarious you write for Forbes. I know. like It's like, talk about, you know, a setup. I know. Well, and I shouldn't, I don't know if it's that he doesn't have respect. It's like, I think it really is just that, again, I would never leave a $20 laying around. Right. Um, so he doesn't have the same mentality. And I really want the boys to have a good life. Like we do a lot of things and I do splurge on when we do something. Yeah. Because I, I had read an article about this, that when you spend money on experiences, that stays with you your whole life. And I really buy into that. Yeah. I so whenever too. we've done vacations, I will spend more on that and it's wonderful. Yeah. But I don't want them to take that for granted and think that that's the way it is for everybody. Right. And I worry about that because because I'm a writer, I get invited to all these wonderful events. Like we got invited to um, FAO Schwartz before they opened. Ooh. And the kids had this amazing time, and I didn't pay for it, obviously. <laughs> but I don't... They can't make that distinction that it's not paid for. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want them to think that that's going to be their life automatically. Yeah. So I do worry like about... Like sponsors sending you things or you yeah. getting to do cool things. Because like I, I get all these free samples of stuff to review or whatever. And so I worry they're going to come off as spoiled. Yeah. I worry about that too yeah. as a former poor kid. Is the fear that they'll expect that for their future or is the fear that having that now will somehow change their behavior? I, I think it's the latter. I don't, I, mean, I don't worry so much about them expecting it, but I don't want them to think they're entitled to it. Yeah. I worry about both my daughters, that they are comfortable. I think they are. And it's obvious that they're doing well. But I worry that they have enough savings. And Nadine and Jennifer both are aware of their money and uh, sort of 
some similarity to me, but not the nuttiness. I would never take a paper plate out of the garbage. (laughs) That's growth. (laughs) Well, I want to say this, Arnold. I want to say, first of all, just thank you for opening up and talking about, you know, your past and and being so open and forthright about all this. This is just a wonderful conversation. And I think you've really managed to take the best and leave the rest, as they say, in 12-step world. Like you really did in a lot of ways. And it seems like each generation is a little bit better in your family. And I think that's pretty wonderful. Yeah, that's true. I hope that's true. Yeah. I, thank you. I appreciate that. And, I, and I'm thank thankful you. that you just came and talk. And thank you, Jennifer, for, for serving up your dad to me. Yeah. Well, like <laughs> I said, I always found it to be, I mean, if you literally talking about generational um, trauma, trauma, it goes all the way back yeah. to the orphanage, Yeah, you know, in 1924 you still feel the impact today. I mean, it sounds corny, but it's no, true. No, it's really true. Yeah. And it, it just, because you could even Because see, a one woman's decision. Yeah. <laughs> but you can even see in the things that he does the same. Yeah. And the things that you do that are different. Like you're doing the difference because you you want to get out of it and you're doing the same because that worked. The only thing that I would say is sometimes it seems like you don't have a choice and you're looking where you want some freedom and you want some choice. And I, I'd like a report back at 79 to hear <laughs> if we got just a little bit more freedom. That's what I'd like to hear. You have reached the well-adjusting expert of the day. Hi, I'm Asia Evans, a licensed mental health counselor and financial therapist. I specifically focus on money, feelings, behaviors, your mindset, your relationship to your finances. And I think something that comes up for a lot of people when I start doing this work is what happens when I'm taking those not the best choices or financial, you know, habits that might not be the best for us and integrating them into my own life. So I would say first is recognizing whether or not they are actually bad habits is the first thing. Sometimes it may not be the best idea for our money, but are we really prepared to label it a bad habit? So just recognizing, hey, am I overspending, but can I afford to overspend? So if you do recognize one that yes, these are bad habits and you don't want to be doing them anymore. Let's look at the root cause of that. I think one thing with financial therapy is looking at why that felt like it was serving you now, even though it doesn't work for your money. And that really does look at the root. It it served your family. Whatever was going on, those habits did serve your family. And now you have to decide how are you going to heal and move forward in a way that allows you to honor where you came from, but recognize that it might not be the best for you right now. So if you find yourself repeating some of the bad habits from your past, look at how you can start identifying the habits first, overspending, underspending, and deciding whether or not that is important for your life right now, because it might not be. A lot of that can be done, of course, with a financial therapist, but it can be done on your own too, but you have to be prepared for the emotions that are going to come up. It hurts to kind of let this go and to have experienced some of the things I experienced, but recognizing that you can do something different now and how do you create those habits is going to be really important in terms of sticking to your financial goals and making it happen in a way that feels good for you. So how do you recognize a habit or, you know, overthinking, ruminating about something 
that isn't really serving you anymore. Saving money, yes, it can be positive, but there's a certain level of underspending or hoarding your money that is not good for you. And I think that is coming from a place of fear and anxiety. And we have to acknowledge that that's the case. So telling to yourself, hey, I'm really worried about what's going to happen in my future. I'm really anxious about my money and that's why I'm hoarding it. Being honest with yourself is going to be really, really important. We know that many people talk about habit loops, you know, right? Like James Clear's book is super, super popular and everybody loves atomic habits. And we know that in the habit loop, there's usually a cue. What is the thing for you that is triggering you to do the next routine behavior? And once you decide that, hey, that routine behavior is not giving me the reward that I want, how do I replace it? So you're not necessarily always going to be able to replace the cue or the trigger point of what the habit is, but you can replace what you do next. So if you find that you get upset and you want to go spend money, you want to go straight to the computer and put things in your cart, what can we do instead? Let's Walk away from the computer, put your phone down, you're going outside. That is going to become the new routine when you're upset. Identifying that you're upset and then doing something different. Now, I think it's really easy for me to say this out loud, of course, and in words, and super, super difficult in practice. This is going to take time. You are going to mess up, and that's okay. You have to allow yourself to change. You're breaking a habit and a structure of living that you've had for potential decades. So it could be going on a walk. It could be journaling. It could be calling a friend. What do you do that usually makes you feel better? It's so individual. So please do not expect that you are going to make this change right away and be nice to yourself as you're trying to make it. Before you all leave, I just have one more story about my new bestie, Arnold. So after the interview... Jennifer sent me a Marco Polo video because, you know, that's how we do most of our keeping in touch. It's like a barrage of monologue videos that we send back and forth to each other. You can just imagine how chatty they are. Anyway, she said he called her after the interview and Arnold said he loved the chat. But then he said, geez, I I, I hope they don't think I deprived you. I mean, like we took vacations and stuff, right? Remember? Which I I just thought that was like the cutest thing ever, you know, that Arnold was worried about that. And so, Arnold, here's what I have to say. Rest assured, we know you are an amazing dad. I mean, just the fact that you are willing to sit down and talk about the generational trauma with, with a willingness and an openness to the effects that it may have had, you know, that just tells me everything that I need to know, which is you are the best. So thank you for sharing your story with the whole well-adjusting audience. I just, I think it's going to help a lot of people. And a huge thank you to Asia Evans for her financial therapy advice. I am telling you there is something in there for everyone. For more Robin, and you may need that, you probably don't need it, but like if you do, you can follow me at Real Rob Hops on all the platforms, all the socials as the kids today say. Well Adjusting is an edit audio original, exec produced by Steph Colburn and Robin Hopkins. Thank you to Maria Passingham, Kathleen Speckert, and the whole edit audio team. Oh, hey, before you take out those AirPods, this show is just for entertainment. If you are in need of help, please, please, please reach out to a professional. Go ahead and get that help. You deserve it.